mai ki te kōnai ipurangi nei a tūtāne pai ki te hoki mai koutou i tēnei rā ko tēnei te kaupeka tuarua wāhanga tuarima. Hello to Becoming Tāne family, glad that you could all come back today. This is Season 2, Episode 5. This is the podcast where we try to help grow great guys. Growing great guys isn't easy, but we're up for the challenge because I believe that our partners, our kids, our whānau deserve to have great guys supporting them. Please tell your whānau and friends to subscribe to the podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking to Ryan Munga of Arija. Ryan shares some of his insightful perceptions about his journey so far. Before we talk to Ryan today, let me give you some background information on him. Ryan was born in Auckland. He comes from a blended whānau of 13 kids. He attended Beards and Yendara Primary School, went on to Ferguson Intermediate and Hillary College. He left high school at 17 to work at a container company. While at this job, a workmate of his invited him to join him for a jam session. Eventually, this jam session led to him purchasing his first bass guitar. A short time later, he was introduced to JD, James Tuiata and Richie Campbell and went on to form the band Arija around 1979. His band regularly gigged throughout Auckland while he was still working at the container company. Eventually something had to give and as soon as he was able to make enough money from music, he quit his job to focus on his music. For over 40 years, he's been focusing on his music and in 2019, Ari released a 1970s Paul McCartney song called Every Night to mark his band's 40th anniversary. Over the years, his band has won numerous awards from the Reinach Rock Awards to the top female vocalist to the best album of the year. Ryan first met his wife, or saw his wife, when they both competed against one another at a talent quest competition at Billy Joe's in Papatoitoi in 1980. A short time after the competition, uh, Betty joined Arija and eventually Betty and Ryan went on to have four kids, three boys and one girl. Street Talk. What is your definition of masculinity? Masculinity to me means standing in your strength and your power as a male, showing up in your true form, ensuring that you can be a leader and not overuse your power as a male, but ensuring that Anything and everything you do as a male is true. Masculinity to me is fatherly touch that people need sometimes. So that stability, that confidence that they can lean on someone for that, that strength 
that some people just need in times of need. Being in touch with all of them, so being in touch with love, peace, success, vulnerability, well-being, resilience, and leadership. I think that's um, they're pretty uh, important things to be in on top of, really, to um, to be really masculine. To me, masculinity is attributes of strength, both emotionally, physically, but it can also mean not being afraid. In particular, to show your feelings to those that you love. It means just sort of being man up for a lot of stuff, you know. Um, own up to your problems, being face-to-face, you know, if you had a, issues or things, if you need to solve out with someone, you know, like, just be man up about it. You've heard what these guys said about masculinity. What's your definition of masculinity? <laughs> Kilda Ryan, welcome to the Becoming Tane podcast. I'm looking forward to sharing your story today. Kilda, thank you. Ryan, I believe that we are who we are as a result of our life experiences. What two events or experiences in your life has had the greatest impact on you? I think the first one is actually starting in the band Arija, because it was kind of like my, my new family, you know leaving the family nest and meeting up with um you know my music mates new new fellas back then you know you know JD Richie Campbell and James Tuiara and then Betty Ann joined in so that was one of them starting that new family in music but pretty much become my family my new family you know for the last 40 years and the second one was um meeting the Bee Gees, you know, because they, they were like um, the soundtrack to a, a lot of my life too um, when I was growing up, teenage days, you know, especially with the disco days and, and going to town and, you know, going to, to the discos back in the mid-70s, you know, just coming out of school before the band, you know, we, we were listening to that, that music and, I mean, yeah. Big influence on my songwriting as well and, and the harmonies and groove as well, you know. So those were the, the two main things, I think, just off the top of my head. There's more to it, but, um, yeah, those were the two main things. How did your meeting come about with the Bee Gees? Well, you know, I've always been a fan and, you know, they used to always get mocked by, um, well, you know, people that used to mock disco and you know, that John Travolta dance, you know, Saturday Night Fever, you know, it was like a mocking thing. And, you know, I've always been a, a fan of, of theirs. And when we had the band and I, I wrote some songs for Arija and then I thought, everybody's doing covers. Oh, okay, I'll do some covers. And Love So Right was, you know, one of the main choices that we did, uh, which was a BG song. And it was the most played song on New Zealand radio back in 1998. And we didn't get any awards for that, but that was a big award, just getting it played on radio. And then in 1999, the Bee Gees turned up. And then uh, the news went around that we did one of their covers, you know, and that's how we got to meet them. 
got invited to a, a press conference in town. Oh, it was amazing because um, you had all, you know, people in the industry there. And here's Betty Ann and I, you know, from South Auckland going to this thing. We, we were like waiting for the security to, I think you're in the wrong place. But the management turns up to us in the beginning of the, the day, the conference. Oh, there you are. Oh, yes, I've got your tickets for you, uh, you and uh, Betty. You can meet the boys later on. And I'm, I'm going, is she talking to us or, you know? And then um, we did. We went into the conference and got to hear the, the interview and stuff like that and hearing them acknowledge our, you know, our, our Māori show bands over in Sydney. You know, they learnt a lot off them and the harmonies and all of that and the groove from, from them. So that was pretty good. And then at the end of the conference, um, the big announcement, everybody is to leave the conference except uh, the boys, uh, the record company and Adija, you know, and I'm going, oh, what? Like I couldn't wipe the smile off my face, you know, and then we went out the, out the side on the balcony and then took some photos. They had photos with their record company and then, then they came and had photos with us. And, uh, oh, man, it was just beautiful, you know, just uh, standing amongst them, you know, shaking their hand and then standing amongst them. We got two photos taken. And we, we got those, um, I think we got the negative somewhere. Those photos are on our, you know, with all our family photos. That's me, you know, because it was such a big part of my life. And all three of them were there too with us. So, you know, it was sad when um, the other two twins, um, you know, passed on. But that was the big memory. Did they say anything in particular to you? Oh, you guys, he's the ones that did that song. You know, because it was a ballad before. And I know that they would have been like, oh, they got a couple of wrong chords in there. But it was like, oh, well, that's our version, you know. And it was a rush job, but it was a it was a good one. You mentioned earlier when you started Arija that they were a new family. Can I ask you about your own family? Growing up with 12 other siblings, that must have been a challenge for you growing up. Well, the, the thing is, we didn't all grow up in one house. So my dad's four kids, my brothers and sisters were from Rarotonga. And so they mainly lived there, but came over here now and then. And my mum had six kids from the islands as well, uh, Aitutaki. And we grew up with two of them, the, the two younger ones. So I was, I was next in line and then my two younger brothers. So we grew up with two of those those guys, and the, the rest of them were older older kids and lived up and down. One was in my sister was in Hamilton, uh, another one in uh, Tokoroa, another one in Wellington, and a, and a brother in Nelson. Yeah, there was a lot of coverage if we wanted somewhere to stay. <laughs> you know, did your Rarotongan heritage play a big part in your upbringing? and your music yeah definitely like i i went to raratonga when i was about 10 years old there was no airport and it was on a ship the northern star so i got to stay there i went there for four weeks but a hurricane hit and i had to stay there for six months and i went to school there luckily i i understood uh, maori fluently so the old people were talking to me back then you know they were really old people and telling me about the legends of, of the migration 
canoes meeting from coming in from the outer islands, Aitutaki, uh, you know, other other islands that built their canoes and met in Rarotonga, which is Antaki Tumu as well. Um, that's the district over there. So I learned a lot, a lot about the, the the culture, and they were still cooking food outside on on rocks, but not in a hole, but just on top of the ground. You know, just things like that. Planting your own food, taro kumara as well was over there. Just learning all of that stuff, the traditions, and which helped me over here as well. You know, in Aotearoa. So like times like these, and you want to go back to the land. Well, I've been living that way for a while, in and amongst um, you know living in the city as well. So yeah, it really helped out with the music as well. I learned how to play the uke over there when I was ten. Also, the guitar. My older brother taught me the, the three chords, and it was amazing how many songs you can play with those three chords down the end. But I was only ten years old, and and you know I was the guitarist in the parties. So it had a big influence on on the music as well as the you know the culture and living living life really. I can imagine throughout your music career that you would have faced a number of difficult decisions. I want to ask about one particular decision that you had to make. That decision was to quit your day job and go all in on your music. Did you doubt this decision? I pretty much took that leap of faith because I'd be doing 40 hours a week and also overtime and coming out with 100 bucks, uh, 120 bucks in my pay packet. Looked like I was just getting the envelope and a pay slip. And then I had a taste of the band, um, you know, when I had the first time getting paid. And we were like working three, three nights, two nights a week. And, you know, like, I'd say four hours a night. So that's like eight hours, 12 hours, whatever. And coming home with 250 bucks. And as a young, young fellow, I was like, um, I didn't get maths at school, but I think that this is a better deal. And I have more time to myself. The weekend starts at Sunday and finishes at Wednesday. Where the normal job, it's Saturday and Sunday, and that's it, back to work again, you know? So it was a, a major decision, but I always look at it as jumping over a cliff, you know, like a big gap in the ground, and there's a deep hole, and jumping over to the other side, both feet, not one, one on one side and my other foot on the other side of this blinking gully, but jumping totally over there into the music world. So that's the way I look at it. And then when I look back at what I left, I thought there's still a lot of people going back to work yet. Yeah, okay, that's their choice. But then I had to make it work and uh, playing covers all our lives. I mean, I'm still playing covers. Writing songs um, has helped further that and given us more choice. My dad was always saying, you know, that's not a real job. Go and get a real job, that kind of thing. Everybody was doubting. Uh, look at that lazy fella. Musicians were doing their own thing. The things I did learn is what type of bass strings to use, you know, punctuality and professionalism, that, that stuff. But you had to learn that firsthand. And I think when you learn it firsthand, it sticks with you because it, that, that's when the light bulb comes on and, and it, 
and it stays there, you know. I, but I go, you know, I do go and, and talk to other young fellas that are getting into the music. And now that I've learned all of that stuff, I've, I've passed it on that way. But yeah, we didn't really get that much help from anyone, especially in those days. You were like an outcast if you were a musician. And it was only a hobby. And you were going to get back to your day job soon. What advice did you give young guys coming through in the music industry? Yeah, you got to be professional. It's it's not a walk in a park. If you want to be rich and famous, and well, you really got to have something to offer. And then sometimes you got to sell your soul, you know. And I don't want to do that. To me, it's about the people. You're entertaining people, and they are the ones that turn up and they they buy the tickets at the door and they they buy your CDs and they this and that and that's what keeps you keeps you going the stuff that you see on tv they're selling a product too that's the music industry so they're selling a product i look at it as you know we're selling our livelihood you know our talent and stuff like that we don't really have a schedule to keep you know we go with the flow and it's about being real about the the whole thing you know, you got the starry eyes in your face and, and stuff like that, and that costs money, and someone's got to pay for it. And usually you're at the end of the pay slip, not at the beginning. You've got all of these other people, you know, so that's the industry side of things. So if you can handle, um, you know, doing it from the roots upwards, it's better for you than shooting too high. What does selling your soul mean? What that means is that it's not a free lunch. You got to do things if you want to be famous. You got to do things for the one that's buying you, you know, because really that's what they're doing. They'll own you. You sign a contract. Why would you sign the contract for? It's because they're investing in you and you're going to make them money as well as yourself, but you're making them money and you're their property until your contract is over. And so when I say sell, sell your soul, it means give up who you are or, cause they can easily tell you what to wear as well. What video you're going to make, what songs you're going to do. And you're not making the choices all the time. It's them. And that's the selling your soul kind of thing for the fame and fortune. You have to give yourself up. Let me introduce you to my friend Nikura. Kia ora, my name is Nikura, uh, Nikura Pini. I come from a little town in the Hauraki called Kitapehi. was raised in Paido and currently living in Mount Monganui. I've got uh, four beautiful children and a beautiful wife that I adore. Nikura, could you tell me about the Kaitiaki project that you set up? Our vision and intention for the Kaitiaki project is to empower our people to reach their true higher self. In order of doing so, us as a collective here at the Kaitaki Project was created to equip our people with the adequate tools to keep them in balance in their everyday life and in our communities. 
we ensure by creating a safe space that will give people invitation to start the, start peeling back the layers and start their healing journey within themselves, encouraging our people to create leaders for the betterment of our people of Aotearoa. During the time of COVID-19, we came together as a ropu and created this kaupapa and really go deep within ourselves as to why we are doing this mahi and we practice this mahi every day and it's very um, important to us that we um, practice what we preach. Nikola, what changes have you seen in yourself? A few changes, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of empowerment. Um, I've been engaging with a lot of people that two years ago you wouldn't have seen me engage with those people. It's opened me up to a lot of different healing and the reason that I feel that um, a lot of our tāne should be coming on to our hikoi because if we don't start now, when are we going to start? We, we have all these titles on our heads, the provider, the father, the husband. When are we actually going to provide a safe environment for our whānau? So I encourage all of our tāne around the whole of Aotearoa to jump on these kaupapa and just be uncomfortable in it because that's where we find true growth has been in uncomfortable situations. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, our website's just coming out, but it's um, at the Kaitiaki Project and you will see a lot of um, our facilitators, a lot of our key facilitators, our leaders on that page. At the Kaitiaki Project, we just want you to experience that good medicine. We call this the medicine is engaging and seeing every other man in that space vulnerable and opening up. Because when in your life do you actually get that safe space to be vulnerable without being judged, without being criticised, and just being who you truly are. Welcome back to the Becoming Tiny podcast. Ryan, I believe each of us is born with a superpower. I define a superpower as a particular skill, ability or attribute that makes you you. It is your secret source. It is what people remember about you. With this in mind, Ryan, what are your superpower or superpowers? When I think about it, you know, I'm always there trying to make it work. So I don't know what that superpower would be like when I mean make, uh, I mean make it work. When there, we have a problem, it's, it's almost like visualizing the answer. And, you know, like if I need to build something or we had to, you know, it's like vi- visualization person. I stare into into nothingness and then it starts ticking off in, in my head and then I go, oh, let's do this. And I'm just talking about what I do around the family and what I do around the band because those are my two two main, you know, and like I said about being rootsy and cultural and earthy, you're making something out of nothing and you you got to pluck it. You know, when they say, oh, you can't pluck it out of thin air, well, you kind of can. Once it's an image inside your head, it's like projecting a screen onto the wall, you know, but 
all that is is I'm, I'm visualizing. So, yeah, I don't know what that X-ray man or something, I don't know. This makes me think about a book written by Marie Folio. It says that everything is figureoutable. Is this what you are describing? Yeah, and but the thing is, n- not everything, but most things are figureoutable. It's just being cool about it if you can't figure it out. You know, it's it's not a failure. It's just that you can't figure that one out. You know, there's no contract saying you have to figure everything out, and that's that takes away the pressure. You know, as men or as humans, you know what I mean. If we're linking it back to the subject we're here for, tāne, it's not putting too much pressure on yourself to always um, provide and come up with it. At least you try. This is what your significant other identified as your superpowers. One, you're a talented musician. As everyone knows, Ryan is a very talented musician. He plays multiple instruments, but his arrangements are unbelievable. Hence, the RDJ albums are quality. Superpower number two, amazing DIY skills. If he thinks it, he builds it. I certainly took a leaf out of his book. Superpower number three, work ethic. He has a great philosophy that he has taught his family. In order to be a loving and independent, you don't get things handed to you, but instead you've got to work hard for them and his family are stronger for it. He applies the same philosophy to his family and also to his music. What do you think about this description? Well, I I chose the right person to to answer it. (laughs) No, but that's the thing. The reason why there were two two of the guys, he was one of them and uh, our sax player was the other, and they would have said the same thing, I think, because they're always with me. They're always around me, and I'm always with them, you know. Yeah, that's pretty much that, you know, that's, yeah, I work hard when, I, I actually forget that I work hard, you know, because I'm not I'm not focused on it. I'm just doing it. There's a doing it and there's a thinking about it, you know. But then, you know, uh, using that thought to to figure out what you're going to do, you know. And then, um, I mean, the, the the talent in the music. I mean, there's way better musicians out there to me. But I go for what the average person likes to listen to. So I'm not putting up that pressure on myself again to deliver. So when when they say um, multi-instrumentalist, I say, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But it's the human feel that I'm after, communicating with humans with that feel, that body clock, and that just that spiritual connection, not religious connection, but spiritual connection. Because we're all made up of the same, same stuff, you know, and it's it's about that, yeah. So that that stuff has helped me through my life and through other, you know, help other people around. I mean, I'll help anyone out on the side of the road or whatever, you know. Have you always been a DIY type of person? Yeah, yeah. Where did that come from? I think you know when I went on my. Fuck a papa journey. 
I found that I had some ancestors that were inventors and there was one French guy because we're part French as well. He was like a big engineer for, I think, for the for America. And uh, he had something to do with battleships, actually putting cannons, you know, like full-on stuff onto a, a frigate. And then carpentry is in there too because there's other ancestors that I found out. Some of their work is still around and it's precision stuff. And then you, my father was a bit of a, you know, same, same type. And my aunt, even on my mum's side, her uncles, there's music in there and there's carpentry. So it's in the DNA, I think. For some men, we have a private persona and a public persona. Sometimes those personas are different and don't match. Do you have a public and private persona? If so, what do you do there? Yeah, I'm actually a shy person when it comes to the public. Like with the band, I've learned now that the way to to get over that shyness with the public and the music is treat them like family. So all these people that come and watch it, they're family. So I can be cool around family, you know, open, a lot more open. And, you know, like, because we're supposed to love each other anyway. My grandma used to always say, love one another. You know, that kind of, we were very religious. Yeah, that was always said when we were growing up. So I carried that on. Easier to be open with your family. But when it got to being in the public, it was like, ooh, 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 you know and shut down and, and all of that. But just recently, it's like looking at everybody as family. And then, ah, oh, sweet. Welcome, welcome home. Yeah, oh, cool. You know, and then, oh, welcome to the gig. Oh, we're going to have fun tonight. We're going to share the love. Ah, oh, sweet, you know, and that's it. You said recently. How do you define recent? I'd say within the last three years. Wow. You and your band have been playing for over 40 years and only in the last three years you felt comfortable? That's crazy. Yeah, definitely, man. Every, everything else has been like, a, um, you know, serious. and uh, But it's also this time of this, this um, what the world is going through at the moment. But it's, it's the positives that I'm finding is that we're coming together as humans. And we're, we're learning about each other and we're, we're realizing that it's just us that we have to work things together, you know, and all, not saying there's nothing else in the universe. I'm just saying down here on earth, we got to figure it out. You know, community is, is uh, important because we're in it alone. I mean, I'm coming from South Auckland. I'm, I, I live in South Auckland. And we're getting the rap for a lot of, lot of, we've always got the rap for a lot of rubbish, you know, media bullshit. Excuse my language. So what I, lately I've been thinking about doing is, um, flipping it so that it's, I'm not, I don't come from South Auckland. I come from Auckland South. <laughs> and that'll stuff everybody up from making judgment. You know what I mean? And, you know, we've ha- had had um, performances in our backyard. We've had about four, five of them so far in the last 
three months, you know, a hundred people, and that's you know keeping the limit and stuff. But it's just been family, and it's been about sharing the love. It's been about respecting each other. They res respect our our home. You know, it's just the buzz for them to be in the Arija house, in the Arija backyard, sharing this beautiful music. And that's what it's been for me, is coming together as as people, as community, as family, and wider brothers and sisters, you know. So, yeah, that, that's, that's that. Just reminding you about our t-shirts that are now for sale. You can go to our website, which is www.becomingtane.men. And on our merchandise tab is where you can access our t-shirts that are now for sale. Now, last week, I told you about a couple of t-shirts that we're selling on there. I've got a couple more t-shirts that I'd like to um, highlight for you this week. The t-shirts that I'm highlighting is our Growing Great Guys t-shirt. We have that t-shirt in black, white and grey. And then the other t-shirt that I'd like to highlight this week is our G3 t-shirt. So that is our G3 t-shirt, which is just the three G's for Growing Great Guys. And that t-shirt is also in black, white and grey. There are a number of sizes you can get. So please uh, purchase a t-shirt uh, to support uh, me developing content for the Becoming Tane podcast and for other content that we're looking to uh, share with everyone uh, this year. So thank you for support. Once again, go out and buy you a t-shirt, Growing Great Guys t-shirt and our G3 t-shirt. Kilda. Ryan, I believe that life is our greatest teacher. So what has life taught you so far? Don't always look at face value on, on things and don't always, you know, someone will say something and feel okay about questioning it. Put your own mind into it. Things that we have to do in life. Sometimes a lot of our problems, they shouldn't be problems. But because of what we live in, they are problems, you know. And there's reasons why. But I think, yeah, it's about questioning everything. Looking at the, doing, doing your research, but looking. And I'm, I'm so happy about the internet. You know, it's opened up the information road you know or whatever you know and and it's it's helped me because i'm not a i'm a dyslexic person as well and i don't read very well and you know grammar and all of that stuff and i don't care really 
it, it's a lot of those pressures in life take away from who you actually are because sometimes you have to fit a mold and we don't all fit one mold. Once you learn how to tap into your own own thing, your own self, you know, then the pressure is off, you know, and you can get out there and see things through your eyes rather than through someone else's eyes. And then you can make your own decisions on certain things uh, without being forced to decide or to live in a world where someone it's someone else's world, not your world. Oh yes, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to sign that paper and do do this and that. And you go, hang on, let me just stand back here, because at the end of the day, we got our own human right to live our life and be who we want to be and the choices we make as um, humans, you know, as people, as community. Uh, we're all different, and once you figure that out, then uh, you know where to walk. It, it's actually your expectations of the life that you've been told to live. But at the end of the day, life is about feeding yourself or and your kids, providing a roof over the head, and interaction. Those are the basics in life. Everything else is extra. So if you can grow your own vegetable, plant your own fruit trees, at the end of the day, you just want to pick that thing off the, off, off the tree. Bob Marley sings about it a lot, you know. The food is thirsty. So you, you feed the, the, the food and then it will provide for you, you know. Just simple things like that. And you, I mean, if you've got a piece of land, you can go and plant that stuff, you know, yourself. You don't have to get a degree. Well, it's nice to know how to do it properly, but there's a lot of people with that information, the old people, uh, even young people, uh, and, and the internet's got a lot of stuff that they share now. And, it, and all it is I'm talking about is providing, providing without the stress and the pressure that modern life gives you. You know, because... They make something to make it uh, make life a lot easier and convenient and all of that, but it's adding stress and it's adding you, you got to work for that extra money to go and buy that stuff. You know, where if you had the seeds and stuff and the know-how, you go and plant it in the backyard, go down fishing. Oh, fishing is treated like a oh, we we we're having a holiday now and we're going on a fishing trip and then we come back to work. But people lived like that before. Their work was going fishing and providing once again uh, for the family. You know, have have that interaction. You know, like this <laughs> this conversation right here. And I, I prefer hands on. You know, when you you meet up. Uh, you know, sometimes I call Tony up and we go and have a a coffee. You know, down the road. Sure. Okay. You know, and that's that's that out of out of the way. You know, we've done that. We've had a bit of a, a gossip and, and uh, catch up and then um, okay we're sick of each other now see you later you know we go our separate ways and then oh I wonder what Tony's doing again you know it's like that you know and I think those are the um, you know the, the treasures of, of life and the, of that journey you know and um, just interacting with, with Fano and friends and, and whoever keep it all open you know so, yeah.
one of the things I'm getting from our corridor today is independence. Totally. And sovereignty. Yep. Yeah. You know, you work within um, the, the marae, the village, the, the tribe, and but you yourself is sovereign, you know. You have your own contract to the universe. So what might be good for me might not be good for someone else, but I'm just looking after me. And then whoever else is around me and needs help, or I'll go for a ride with them, you know, and they're doing it. Oh, yeah, sweet. You got it covered. Sweet. It's about providing and taking away, you know, they're looking at the stars and they're adding all of these 5G stuff and these new gadgets and devices and shit. And we don't really need them. My um, iPhone 8 Plus works just fine. I don't need to go any higher. It's only up when, when they decide to uh, make it obsolete and, and, oh, you have to have this new phone to, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, you're the boss, but we don't really need all of that stuff. It's a tool to help us through our lives, but we don't really need all of that stuff. Ryan, if there was one thing you would like the listeners of the Becoming Tiny podcast to take away from your corridor today, what would that be? The first thing that came into my head was be yourself. You know, that's that's the first thing. But there's a lot of things to you might mightn't like yourself. So it's it's about realizing that you do have choices. You are somebody. You belong. You know all of these positive things. But in order to help others, you you really need to be able to help yourself first. That's looked upon as being selfish, but you have to know how to how, how to do that. And that's kind of like your your proof that you can take care of others because you can take care of yourself. So be yourself and know that you have choices in life. They, they're God-given choices. They're universal choices, you know, as long as you're not hurting anyone and no one's hurting you, of course. You have to defend yourself, but you've got to provide for yourself first, then you can provide for others. And, um, yeah, just go with the flow of life. The name of the podcast is called Becoming Tane. It is named Tane because it can be translated into English to mean man, male, or husband. It also is named after Tane Mahuta, one of our atsua, because of his desire to learn and grow. So my last question is, what do you think it means to become a man? Well, uh, the way I look at it is that I am male, so when I grow up I will be a man. But um, becoming a man is about knowing yourself and where you, where you fit. In. And, and I think taking that pressure off yourself from always being there and and having having to provide yeah it takes the pressure away and and then you actually learn to get into yourself and look at your um your talents you know what you're good at what you can contribute to the family unit to the the community it's all about that i mean there's there's other expectations and there's other perceptions too you know like a lot of the times, like for me, 
I was close to my mum. So there was always women around at, when I was growing up, you know, and that's the same with a lot of, lot of other men. And then their woman, you know, you know, you get into a relationship and then it's like, Hey, it's, it's different here, you know, and then, but the basics are still the same. You still stick to yourself and find out who you are and, and what you what, what you can contribute to the family unit and the community type thing, you know, and just realize that you're just part of it. You're not the be all and end all. And that takes away the pressure. And you want to go for a kayak fish? Go for it. You you provided during the week? Yes, sweet. Okay. Right. My time out. I want to go for a motorbike ride or something, you know? And it's about celebrating life and your life, you know, and um, making those decisions for yourself as well as providing for your family and stuff, you know? Kilda Ryan, thank you so much for your time and for your knowledge and experience that you've shared with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, it was nice sharing it, that experience and stuff. And it's good to um, let people know what's been going on behind yeah. the scenes. They only know the music side yeah. of things. And, uh, yeah, it's good to know the, the journey behind it. Ngā mihi nui ki a koutou i whakarunga ki māua e tēnei rā. Kei te pirangi au i ako koutou mai te kōrero o Ryan. Thank you for listening to us today. I hope you learned something from Ryan's story. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to from today. You can listen and download the Becoming Tane podcast from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher or iHeartRadio. And we're also on YouTube. If you would like to contact us, our email is becomingtane at gmail.com. Our handle on Facebook and Instagram is at becomingtane and our website is www.becomingtane.men. Now for some gratitude. Uh, Ryan, I'm grateful that you shared your cordial with us today. Carnal Sadler, I'm grateful for your amazing musical talents and for you creating the music for our podcast. I'm grateful to Aaron and Merrick Moike for your editing skills for the podcast. And finally, I'm grateful to my wife and kids for loving me in spite of all my faults. Hey, Atera Wiki, until next week. Haere tu atu, hoki tu mai. Go well and return in good health. Mori order.